It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone. Welcome to the program. I pray you are well. In previous episodes of this program, I've given eight reasons for Christians to be involved in apologetics. I will just remind you of two of them. Number one, the Bible commands it. Number two, reason demands it. If you need to review the other six reasons, see Reasons for Apologetics, Parts 1 and 2 of Defending and Commending the Faith. Edward John Carnell, former president of Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, said this, quotes, The heart must be kept tender and pliable. Otherwise, agnosticism converts to skepticism. In such a case, the value of apologetics is voided, for apologetics is aimed at persuading doubters, not of persuading the defiant. He who demands a kind of proof that the nature of the case renders impossible is determined that no possible evidence shall convince him, in quotes. Allow me to remind you of some key facts about apologetics. Number one, we are not apologizing for Christianity, but defending Christianity. Apologetics is derived from the Greek noun apologia, occurring eight times, and the Greek verb apologiomai occurring ten times in the New Testaments. Apologia literally means a word back. So it can be translated as defense, reply, response, or make a case for a defense. Correspondingly, the verb apologiomai is rendered defend. So the New Testament tells believers in Christ to defend our faith. Number two, two foundational scriptural passages encapsulate the apologetic task. They are found in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16 and 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. I read with, from the Weymouth New Testament for 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. In your hearts, consecrate Christ as Lord, being always ready to make your defense to anyone who asks from you a reason 
for the hope which you cherish. Yet argue gently and cautiously, keeping your consciences clean, so that when you are spoken against, those who slander your good Christian lives may be put to shame. You have heard of the three R's of education, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Well, we can get four R's of apologetics from the passage in First Peter. He says, number one, be reverent to the Lord. Two, be ready to answer questions about your hope in Christ. Three, be reasonable in your answers. And four, be respectful to your questioner. Now the passage from 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 from the Message Bible. The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't fight our battles that way. We never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entirely massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. Clearly, the emphasis in this passage is on our tools, what the King James Version calls weapons. We are called to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's the NIV version of 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. My question is, are you developing your tools? A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Apologetics is the enterprise of obeying these two passages of Scripture. Paul instructs us how we should function in ministry in general and in apologetics in particular. He says in 2 Timothy 2.15 from the Message Bible, Concentrate on doing your best for God. Work so you won't be ashamed, laying out the truth, plain and simple. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 from the Message Bible, Since God has so generously let us in on what He is doing, we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. We refuse to wear masks and play games. 
We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. And we don't twist God's words to ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth on display, so that those who want to can see and judge for themselves in the presence of God. Don't suppress the Spirit, and don't stifle those who have a word from the Master. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Check out, test everything, and keep only what's good. Throw out everything tainted with evil. That's in First Thessalonians 5, verses 19 through 22 from the Message Bible. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15, verses 5, part B. We all should be ready to contend, defend, refute, reprove, test, and reason for the faith. But I encourage us all to contend without being contentious, defend without being defensive, reason without being unreasonable, and test without being testy. Jesus didn't hesitate to look at the religious leaders of his day and say, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. That's found in Matthew 22, verse 29. In the last two episodes, I've been answering objections by Christians who think they have theological and scriptural reasons against the practice of apologetics. I have given answers to a list of seven objections to the practice of apologetics. If you need to be refreshed about this, consult episodes on objections to apologetics, parts one and two. There are more objections, but I think I have given sufficient grounds for you to anticipate that these additional objections would also be misguided. If you wish to pursue more answers to objections to the practice of apologetics, see chapters 5 and 6 of the book Thinking About Christian Apologetics by James K. Bealdby. So now I will begin to show Christianity is true. That is my goal and it will take several episodes to accomplish. The two books, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek, and the second book, Twelve Points That Show Christianity is True by Norman Geisler and Doug Potter, give almost the identical 12-point outlines to show Christianity is true. I will follow the outline given in the second book. I will start with zero knowledge about God and Christianity and truth to bring people to the bottom line of knowing these three pillars. First, the truth that the cause of the universe 
is the theistic God of the Bible. Second, that Jesus is the Son of God, the living Word, the personal Savior of Christians. And third, the Bible is the written Word of God, and anything opposed to it is false. So that we can arrive to the point where we can respond to God's call in Isaiah 1, chapter 1, verse 18. Come now and let us reason together. Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. I say the unexamined faith is not worth believing. There are people who are Buddhist, Hindus, Muslims, and even Christians who have never reasoned through their own faith. Norman Geisler says that even an unreasoned faith is unreasonable faith. Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Matthew 22, verse 37. I say again, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. You need to go with me through these 12 points showing Christianity is true. Let me start off by giving a bird's eye view of the 12 points. Number one, truth about reality is knowable. This statement flies in the face of our postmodern generation of relativity and subjectivity of truth, which will say, you can have your truth and I can have my truth. Never mind the fact that those supposed truths could be contradictory. We will discuss the nature of truth, that truth is objective, absolute, and universal. Two plus two equals four, here, in the next building, and all of the world. Then we will determine tests for truth. That's the way mathematics, science, the medical profession, and the legal courts treat truth. In the courtroom, a witness must swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We demand this view of truth in virtually every area of our lives. No one wants lies from a loved one, an employer, or a tax advisor, etc. Yet the culture wants to push us to relativism of truth. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.